Okay, so here's a fun little game that we're gonna try. It's called Paul and Ashley on the spot. So I'm gonna ask Paul questions that he is not anticipating. I'm gonna try to put him on the spot to provoke the most authentic and spontaneous reaction and he's gonna do the same to me. Okay, let's record. Three, two. Okay, wh- which podcast is this? You have a lot of them. This is this is the Paul and Ashley podcast on nonpartisan evangelical. Oh, okay. Are we recording this? And we need to tell everybody we are in the car. We are in Templeton, California, making yeah. our way to Arroyo Grande at Pismo for a weekend of baseball and relaxing. And we may hear the Waze app from time to time talk in the background telling us where to go. So yes, our kids are in the back seat with their headphones on listening to whatever's on they their devices. They have no idea what we're saying right now. Like we could say <laughs> stuff about, about them, them that yeah. would completely embarrass them, but we will try not to do that. Okay, and you've been delighting in the questions that you've been planning for me on this, so I'm very intrigued to see what you've come up with. Okay. Um, so you planted a church in 2008. Yeah. You were the senior leader of that church for 10 years. And that meant that you were in the pulpit a lot. I yeah. mean, if we were to count up how many sermons you did, I'd be like hundreds and hundreds over 10 years. So at least first, twice a month for 10 years. Yeah. If and not more, three more like three times a month. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So my first question to you is, um, what was your most favorite sermon? Wow, that's a that's a tough one. It's my most favorite sermon. <laughs> Do I remember my sermons? Is the question. Um, what is my most favorite sermon? I mean, my my most favorite concept to share is. Police reported ahead. God, okay, God is not mad at you. And so, you know, all I can remember is the recent ones. I mean, I, I did some on eschatology that got me into trouble, but I loved the sermons I shared on it. I, I loved talking about a different way to think about the end of the world, which is what eschatology means. is like a theological belief of the end of the world. And so I loved those. Uh, but I taught one recently on the what the story that's known as the rich young ruler. It's a it was a, a religious leader in Jesus' day that came to Jesus and said, "What what do I have to do to attain eternal life?" And Jesus gave him all the usual answers that any Pharisee, any religious leader would have known. And then ultimately, Jesus was like, "Hey, give away everything and come follow me," because he realized that 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 guy was asking, what is it that I can do in my power to obtain God's personal love for me? And the, the answer ultimately was, oh, there's nothing you can do to make God happy with you other than just understand that he does. And that once you have that understanding and that he's taken care of that relationship. And so I just, I felt like I explained that really well in the sermon, maybe more than I just did, but that's kind of my that's okay, favorite. so we ought to find the podcast of the eschatology sermon yeah. that you're referencing and okay. put it up on the NPE website. Um, 
because why not just put it out there for the world to hear like the probably the most traumatizing sermon (laughs) for our church in 10 years which when you got home from church that day I was there that morning you got home you walked in the door and I said oh my gosh you just preached your ass off that sermon was amazing and you literally said preach your ass off I did say that yeah and then um and then, like, people got so upset about it. Like, the fuse got lit and... My staff out, got mad at me They got me mad. About it. Like, out the door, the the folks went. So, we ought to find that and just put a marker in the ground. Like, and it's an was, important one because I think that... I think we sort of missed how the Bible interprets that stuff. And it's... But it's so important to us that we divide over it. That's that's yes. part of the essence of the nonpartisan evangelical is that we shouldn't we should be able to hear different opinions and not divide. And over that's them. it. Like let's let's ask ourselves why is this so offensive to us? Yeah. You know, uh, one of our favorite pastors always says that God will offend your mind to reveal your heart. Yep. So why were people so offended by what you? preached on that Sunday and then like let's think about like okay you know I'm not suggesting that you were right about everything you certainly weren't wrong about everything but just ask yourself why was I offended by that and let God kind of get up underneath that and lift some you know some stuff out that maybe isn't isn't from him okay you were mayor for two terms what was the coolest thing about being the mayor of Fresno coolest thing you got to do coolest perk you got and, and maybe what was the worst thing about being mayor? Can you do both of those? So I actually heard three things in that. So, um, so okay. uh, best perk about being mayor is parking wherever the <laughs> hell you want to park. There was always parking reserved for you, yeah. Yes, that's like in when you're mayor of Fresno, like you don't have a lot of perks. You know, it's not like you're mayor of LA and you have like a suite at the Dodger Stadium or San Francisco and you know, you're going all to these great concerts. Like, so in Fresno, perk equals at least you got to park in downtown Fresno for free. Um, so I can say with all sincerity that that was the perk that I enjoyed. Um, and that was my one perk. Yes. As the spouse of the mayor. The and technically, did you know you were only supposed to use your parking pass when you were doing something like related to oh. the administration? Like, yes, I did know that. Yes, yeah. we're recording. Yes, I did know that and of course didn't violate that yeah. rule. So um, that was the one perk. I think, um, you know, just really dramatic, quote, cool moments um, going to the White House quite a lot actually over eight years yeah. um that that's really actually a pretty breathtaking moment when you go to the white house for the first time because you know growing up you see images whether it's in you know tv shows like west wing and you see all the recreated places in the white house or you see the actual news footage and see presidents here and there and you see the lawn and you see the way the chandelier hangs in the front i mean it's all that stuff like being there in person I remember seeing um, JFK's portrait in the White House that, you know, the famous portrait of him, like, looking down with his yeah. arms and legs crossed. Um, and I remember just kind of passing by me, like, oh, yeah, I've seen that before. And then stopping in my tracks and going, no, that's the actual that's painting. Yeah. That is not me seeing a picture in a book. Like, I am here. This is the White House. And that is the painting that is so famous. Um, so, <laughs> my although... Anybody who knows me or spent time around uh, my administration for eight years at the city of Fresno will know that, like, wardrobe and hair were always, like, big things. Like, (laughs) I was supposed to be focusing on some really important 
speech or, you know, making this big ask of some government official or whatever. And my inside voice was like, oh my God, does my hair look good? So that's um, a way to just keep it light in some of those um, tense moments. But my first trip to the White House was, I want to say probably February of 2009. So remember, we're having the financial meltdown. Um, the bank bailout happened in the final months of the uh, Bush administration. The Obama administration is in in January and they're doing this stimulus package. And so um, in the earliest days of the stimulus package, the president's team called together a group of mayors to be present when President Obama gave a speech in the gold room where basically he was lecturing mayors and recipients of stimulus dollars and saying, my like cliff note version of his speech was you better not screw up with these dollars because if we give you money to provide basic services in the middle of the recession and we find out that you've done some you know pork project back in your hometown you know built a new pool at the zoo for the rhinoceros yeah. with federal stimulus dollars like i'm gonna i'm gonna kill all y'all that's basically what the president uh, was trying to tell us so did he say all y'all he did not okay so um so it was a quick trip. Um, our lobbyist back in D.C. got a call. Hey, can the mayor of Fresno come out? I was oftentimes called on to be at things with the Obama administration. I think as a Republican, there just weren't a lot of Republicans. This was in the early days of the Tea Party. A lot of Republicans would not affiliate with the administration. I was like, hey, you're going to help my city. I'm going to come hang yeah. out with you. No problem. So I got a call to go back and um, literally was it like landed maybe... 10, 11 o'clock at night and was leaving the next day. So it was almost just a 24 hour trip. So I packed very quickly and I forgot my shoes. <laughs> so, um, I thankfully had, you know, the perfect blue tweed Talbot suit that I had bought at the outlet like 15 years before. Perfect for, uh, you know, February trip to the white house, but I didn't take the right shoes. So I ended up wearing this blue wool Talbot suit and the shoes that I had worn on the airplane the day before. And so we're sitting in the gold room and we're getting this lecture by the president. And all I can think about is, oh my God, I hope my shoes are not in the camera angle. <laughs> um, so anyway, long story, but uh, true, true thoughts from a former mayor. Yeah. It had to be cool to meet the president at the bottom of the steps of Air Force One at the That airport. was amazing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the first time I met the president was actually not that trip to go talk about the stimulus dollars. But just prior to that, I was back for U.S. Conference of Mayors for the um, for the annual meeting. And we got invited, all the mayors got invited over to the White House and about 250 mayors. And the president comes in, gives his remarks, and then they turn the cameras off. He's like, OK, I'm going to come around and shake everyone's hand. So don't worry. You know, you don't have to crowd to the front. I promise I will shake everybody's hand. So... I wait my turn. He goes through every, you know, the row of chairs all in front of me. And he gets me. And, of course, I have a lot of time to think about what am I going to say in the five seconds I have to greet the president for the first time. And so I said to him, hello, President Obama. I'm Ashley Swearingen, Mayor of Fresno. Um, and then I said, we're praying for you. And, again, remember, this is at a time when, you know, Mitch McConnell has already said, like, our job is to make sure this man is a one-term president. Like, sort of the evangelical political Christian voice was already being raised up to be anti-Obama. Anything he does, we should just He's hate it. Yeah. He's a Muslim. Like, we should just, you know, poo-poo all over it. 
um, so that he only has one term in office and surely this is God's will for our country. So I intentionally said that because I'm thinking, first of all, I am praying for this man. And second of all, I know there are a lot of other people who are. So I said, we are praying for you. And I caught his attention by saying that. He looked at me and he said, he said, thank you. I believe in that. (laughs) And then he kept on, moved to the next guy who was uh, the mayor of Charlotte, um, North Carolina, who had Pat McCrory, who had just run for governor and gotten beaten. Pat McCrory says to President Obama, I tried to run for governor and you killed me in my state. Everybody came out and voted for you until they didn't vote for me for governor. You killed me. You killed me. So um, that was my first interaction with President Obama. All right. Hi, everyone. Paul here. Hope you're enjoying this podcast with Ashley and me as we once again talk and drive. It seems our best times of talking together and hanging out together are in the car on California's expansive freeways. Um, Ashley and I, though, we love to share our story with you of how our faith caused us to see the work of Christians differently than what we'd always known growing up, that we believe the work is to see equality and justice and opportunity to come to our communities, not just share a bunch of rules and try to force people to obey them as sometimes Christianity seems to be in America. So I've written a novel about this. Uh, It's a little semi-autobiographical version of our story. Uh, The title of it is Joseph Comes to Town, and its uh, subtitle is a a little bit of a a prickly one. It's, uh, It's When the Religious Right goes religiously wrong. I want you to have this book and I want you to share it with everyone you know. Christmas is coming. You need a Christmas gift. This book would be perfect to give to a friend. Uh, The book is my belief of what Jesus would say if he were on earth in the flesh today about the religious partnership and partisanship of the right-wing evangelical church. Would would he applaud the religious leaders battling for right-wing causes or, or would he be critical of them as he was the religious leaders when he was on earth the first time? Spoiler alert, Uh, I don't think he would be any more happy with the religious leaders trying to place heavy laws and condemnations on people today than he was in the Bible. Jesus called those religious leaders hypocrites, whitewashed tombs, and he fashioned a bunch of ropes into a whip and hit them with it. So that's that pretty much shows you what he thinks about uh, religious rules and condemnation. So what do you think? What would Jesus say about the religious right today? Now, the great news from my book is that the transformation of people from this religiously partisan mindship, mindset can actually transform a home, a community, even an entire city, I believe. I want you to be filled with that hope that this divisive culture we see today in America isn't God's heart at all, and there's actually a solution in the Bible to it all. And I want you to read about it in my book, so I'm going to give you a special offer to get it. Sign up at the $12.99 level on our Patreon site, and I will send you an autographed copy of my book for free. That's right, absolutely free when you join our nonpartisan evangelical Patreon community. Our, our Patreon community is where we receive our financial support to grow this NPE community and where we give you special access to our fun and entertaining opportunities for connection. It's a, a site that was crafted to help creators create. And when you join, you'll be helping me spread the message of the nonpartisan evangelical to my community, your community, and, and the whole world. So here's how you get this special offer and help support the nonpartisan evangelical. Go to my website, npepodcast.com. Now, NPE is short for nonpartisan evangelical, npepodcast.com. 
Once there, click on the Joseph Comes to Town book link at the top, and it'll show you how to sign up for the NP Patreon community and get my book for free. Now, don't miss out on being part of this special NP Patreon community, getting my book for free. Now, if you're not sure you want the book yet, you can even preview it there with the first three chapters on the Joseph Comes to Town book link at the website if you want to try that first. So, don't wait, though. I need your financial help, and I so badly want you to have my book. I'm going to say pause this podcast right now. Go to the website, npepodcast.com, and click on the Joseph Comes to Town book link at the top. What are you waiting for? Pause the podcast. We'll wait for you until you get back. You're that important. And then we'll share the rest of rest of the podcast when you come back. Excuse me there. So go to the NPE Podcast website, npepodcast.com. Right now, we love you and are so grateful for your support of the Nonpartisan Evangelical. Now, back to Paul and Ashley and the podcast on the Nonpartisan Evangelical. Okay, next question for Paul on the spot, still keeping with the theme of things that happened in the pulpit at the River Church Fresno. Most embarrassing moment as a senior leader in the pulpit on a Sunday morning at the River Church. Go. Most embarrassing moment. Wow. Can you remember an embarrassing moment? Well, yeah, I can. You're you're much better at remembering this (laughs) stuff than I am. What? So what? Okay. so, you, you tell me the moment, and then I'll share what, what I felt in that moment. So, okay, how about the time when you wore a kilt to uh, Sunday morning service? Yeah. Um, you had maybe a handful of wardrobe malfunctions while you were preaching that might have been embarrassing. What wardrobe malfunction did I have? You know. You're, you're much more. Things being unbuttoned. I mean, you know. Just, well, <laughs> <laughs> those are things that really matter to you that maybe don't matter to me quite as much, but. Um, yeah, I remember wearing the kilt, and that was because we were raising money to bring our, uh, we were hiring a new worship leader. Watch out, to come, vehicle stopped on shoulder ahead. To come from Scotland, and we did bring them over, and they're now the senior leaders of our church, which is amazing. But we, we pledged that if we raised this certain amount of money, I think it, what was it, 20 grand? Something like that. And when we got it, that I would wear a kilt. And so, yes, I had to come out wearing a kilt. There are certainly pictures of it all over. And so our, our Scottish friends, Dan and Louise, say, you know, there's nothing embarrassing about wearing a kilt. It's the, it's the coolest thing that they do in Scotland. And that guys look very hot and sexy in kilts. But, yes, it was, it was drafty. And it was not not my best moment ever for me, but I think the people appreciated that I was willing to humble myself to do that in exchange for them making uh, the financial commitment to bring our new worship pastor over. So yeah, that was that was cool. Um, so my question for you is: How important is your hair to you in your life? And <laughs> What changes have you made to your hair over the years? So, um, in all sincerity, my hair has been probably the most consistently changing and dynamic thing in my life (laughs) since birth. Um, Got a lot of jokes out of hair, hair jokes uh, when I was mayor of Fresno. Because, so for the first time... In my life, I'm photo. I was being photographed almost daily, you know, and 
and you know you just don't really pay that much attention to yourself until every day you're like oh my god did I really go out wearing that did my hair really look like that so I mean it sounds maybe a little bit vain but it's only because you're just confronted with these images and of course now with social media it's like everywhere all the time so um, anyway mostly it was just to have fun like um, we nicknamed my car that I drove when I was mayor um, we nicknamed it Hair Force One, <laughs> Mike Lukens, my first press secretary, and I. Um, I used to joke at, like, ceremonial groundbreakings when everybody had to put a helmet on. I was like, absolutely not. I'm not, I'm not putting on a helmet. And then there were a few occasions where I was actually, like, on a construction site and, you know, it was a maybe cameras were involved but there was there were some safety considerations and I would argue with like the foreman on the job like no I have so much product on my hair like I don't need a helmet <laughs> my hair. that would protect actually, you from any yes, falling objects I actually have helmet hair right now uh. um, which did not go over and I did ultimately have to wear the helmet I remember having to go to um, oh gosh we were like cutting the ribbon on the new um, police training uh, facility out in southwest Fresno and there was like a driving track and so I was going to get in the car and drive around with like a guy who knew how to drive this course and they made me wear a helmet and you know I protested so yeah it's probably a pretty pretty consistent <laughs> um, theme of mine in public life. All right. You have another question? Okay. Um, this is going to be a personal question. Okay. Okay. I am formulating it now. Um, talk about one time in your life when by yourself, like all of a sudden you were just like moved to tears and cried like a baby on the floor of our house. Uh, well, there's, there are two that, that come to mind immediately. Um, and, and, you know, I was just thinking about your embarrassing moment in the pulpit. To be really honest about that, people leaving the church and because they didn't think I was good enough or I didn't say the right things, those are always extremely painful moments. So I would, I would say probably that's as embarrassing as anything. I think you were looking more for, like, did my pants fall off at some point or something? But... <laughs> But no, the two times that I cried by myself on the floor that po immediately popped to mind. Number one, reading the book, The Shack. Yeah. If anybody's ever read the book, The Shack, chapter two is the chapter where Mac, who's the protagonist of the book, his daughter gets kidnapped and disappears and ends up being killed and, and molested. And, oh, and it just, I just laid on the floor of our living room. You were, I think, in bed already. I was reading this book and I just wailed bawling. So there was that moment, and then uh, the movie Pursuit of Happiness yeah. with Will Smith. With, uh, again, that was a movie. You won't watch movies where kids have like hard moments in their lives or something. It's just so heartbreaking for you that. So I have to watch these movies by myself, and so I was downstairs again watching this movie by myself. And that scene where Will Smith is portraying the man who is temporarily homeless and trying to start this new career and they're in the bathroom I think of a bus station or something and he's he's just trying to find a place of shelter for him and his son and somebody's knocking the security guards knocking on the door trying to get them to come out and he's just trying to find a place of shelter and oh yeah I I lost it I bawled I bawled on that mm. 
So it's making me cry thinking about it. Yeah, that was a, that was a horrifying moment in a in a movie for sure. And recently, I watched the, the I think it's called When They See Us, which was a movie about the Central Park Five. Uh, young black kids that were arrested for a murder in Central Park and, and Donald Trump put out an ad calling for them to get the death penalty, these 14-year-old boys. That was another movie. I didn't cry necessarily through that, but I had to turn it off because yeah. it was just so I, painful to I watch. am a little intimidated. Like, like, I know I want to see that. I need to see that. And I have heard from so many people how intense it is to sit and go through that, like live through that experience by just watching, you know, and imagine what it would have really been like in real life. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm I'm trying to work up my courage uh, to see it because I'm really I'm just I'm so moved by um, what happened there. So I think it's yeah. an important documentary, but uh, yeah, it's really painful. So here, my next question for you is. Where do you see disconnects or kind of funny uh, ways in which your Midwestern Arkansas upbringing impacts your California life now? <laughs> well, um, I've been in California since 1987, so lo- like longer than any other place I've lived in my life. But um, but it's funny because when, especially I know when we had our kids, um, and you just you're like living life again through the life of your toddler your you know your child going to first grade I mean it just brings up all these memories of like your own childhood and so I think my um, time in the Midwest got sort of pulled forward when Sydney was born and just thinking about you know my life growing up through her um, and so I mean I was only there till age 14 but it's still where I th- I think like where are you from I'm you know born in Texas raised in Northwest Arkansas and I love that part of the country I love gosh young girls that I remember like from kindergarten who I've totally lost touch with like how much I loved those friends like with a genuine pure love um, like I miss them my heart still pines for the you know the, the friends that I had back there so Anyway, it's a very impactful and profound time of my life. I think the only probably real way in which I get a kick out of it these days is um, I just think about like taking Spanish class in, <laughs> um, in Arkansas and having um, Spanish teachers pronounce the word tortil- tortilla. <laughs> like that, that for real happened, you know, in like the 1980s and in Arkansas, tortilla. Well, when uh, I came into your family, your family, you were still calling them tortillas. I remember that. <laughs> you want a tortilla. That's possible. With your taco. That is possible. <laughs> and like Mexican food in Arkansas was Taco Bell. Like, yeah. like I remember when we got our first Taco Bell and it was like, oh, this is what Mexican food is. <laughs> um, so yeah, things look like that you look back on and realize like how silly and um, just how different the culture was. I mean, there's such an... Um, authentic way of life I think in Northwest Arkansas it's naturally beautiful things are simple sort of home and hearth is um, is the is just the way things feel so I miss all of that um, I do look back on my time there and I maybe will elaborate on this on another another time because I don't want to go on and on but um, it actually was a very segregated city uh, the town I grew up in and the second largest city in Arkansas and looking back on it, the schools I attended, um, large elementary, middle school, 
left before I went to high school there, but the high school I would have gone to almost entirely white. Like my junior high, 900 kids, I think there were maybe, maybe three or four African-American students at most. There was one uh, Hispanic student who was, happened to be my best friend, um, whose mom was from Mexico and her dad was Caucasian. Um, but like really segregated. And the, there were two high schools in this town, um, the North High School and the South High School. Not kidding you. North side, South side. North side was an almost entirely African-American school. Mm. And South side was an entirely white school. And again, this was like 1987. Yeah. You know, this wasn't the 60s or 70s. And we never talked about race in our household. We never, like it was just... Um, I, I think I grew up very oblivious to the um, segregation and the institutional racism that was in fact still all around and I just think people had put it away like you know civil rights era had passed yeah. and we don't have to deal with this anymore and yet it was a very very divided community well in our city of Fresno is still more segregated than it should be and we would like to work it on is. that but it's it is. I've always appreciated and been happy to know that our kids would never know that experience of going to an all-white school or that, that there were always going to be kids of different ethnic backgrounds and colors around them. And so that's, that's always been gratifying. Anything else you want to do? do something silly like favorite movie ever or favorite music genre or something like that um, I don't really think I do uh, okay I don't think I got anything else okay well I think it would be kind of fun like isn't Forrest Gump your favorite movie ever it's what I always say but I'm not sure that that's actually true uh, what would be your favorite movie ever? Okay, so do you want me to ask you that? You want to ask me? Yeah. Watch out. Okay. Vehicle stopped on shoulder ahead. Okay, if the definition of favorite movie of all times is the movie that you always stop to watch, like if it's on TBS or something, what, what would that be for you? Like uh, what, what do you stop to watch? And I think you're right. I think if you said what's your favorite movie of all time, Versus what's the movie you always stop to watch if it's on as you're cruising through the channels. They are two different answers, I think. But without question, I think the movie I've probably watched more than any other movie ever or watched portions of it is A Few Good Men. That if you're <laughs> yes. ever scanning through the channels and A Few Good Men, or I'm looking at the guide and A Few Good Men is on somewhere, I will stop and watch some of it. That okay. and My Cousin Vinny are the two movies that I have to turn them on and watch some of them when they're on. I can attest to that. Do you know how many dozens of times like I've come into the room and you're sitting there watching a portion of, you and, know. And you can't handle the truth yeah. is on yeah. on the TV. Totally. Yeah. That is that is that is for real. Um, how about you? Okay. So, what do I So I I'm having a hard time thinking about like what I would stop to watch because now with, you know, DVR and on demand, it's like really actually nothing, you know, because you can yeah. always just like pull it up and find whatever you want to watch. But I, I would say just in terms of overall heartwarming, compelling story, like I love the blind side. Um, 
I love Sandra Bullock in that movie, and I just, uh, that's probably the one today that if it was on TBS, I'd stop and watch it for at least five or ten minutes. Uh-huh, very good. The, the one movie I think both of us really love that maybe not a lot of people, is not that widely popular as this movie About Time. Oh, About Time is phenomenal. And we both love the movie About Time. If you've never seen it, go get it. It's a, it's a movie about this family where the men in the family have the ability to travel through time and change history and yeah it's really fantastic uplifting great ending fantastic movie so about time that's a good one so wow we're just about we're looking at the map here we're going to come up on the ocean just over the hill here as we're traveling to arroyo grande so hope you've learned a little bit about about me and about ashley today that maybe more than you ever wanted to know (laughs) well there's lots more where that came from Yeah, so thank you for being a part of our Patreon page. Let others know, and thank you for helping support us as we're trying to grow, market, get the equipment we need, all the things we need to do to make nonpartisan evangelical available all over the world. So thank you. You guys have an amazing week, and we'll talk to you soon. Well, Ashley, and, and, and I hope you enjoyed our little game today and hope you're on our nonpartisan evangelical insiders list. You can stay updated on everything going on in the NPE world. My updates, listing of new podcasts and blogs and announcements of upcoming events, even the opportunity to share in spiritual moments like an NPE online communion gathering. Go to our website, npepodcast.com. Sign up for our insiders list today. And don't forget, you can get a free copy of my novel, When Joseph Comes to Town, the Religious Right Goes Religiously Wrong by uh, clicking on that Joseph Comes to Town book link and it'll show you how you can join our Patreon community and get an autographed copy of my book absolutely for free. Please check it out. It means the world to me. Thanks for listening to the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast with Paul and Ashley. I'm Paul. We'll see you next time.